Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Rick Rule. Rick Rule is a favorite of the Real Vision community. If you'd like to meet Rick and get a masterclass from the master himself, you'll want to head to the Rick Rule Symposium on Natural Resource Investing in Florida, July 23 to 27. You'll get access to industry insiders, elite bullion dealers, gold council members, and uranium pros. Just head over to realvision.com slash Rick for tickets. That's realvision.com slash Rick. So just a little intro on today. Uh, obviously, the topic is NFTs and Web3. We are going to be joined by Real Vision's uh, Jeremy Varlow, who's also a, just a true DGen and MFer. And we're also going to be joined by Douglas XYZ, who's the founder of Wild XYZ, which is a Web3 platform that's dedicated to artists. Um, and so they're basically trying to be the go-to destinations for artists to collaborate through application-based residencies, launch their collections, reach new artists. Um, so that should be very interesting. You know, we, we're hearing a lot about launch pads in Web3 and ways to help artists entrepreneurs founders gain exposure and help them you know kind of get gain an audience as well we're seeing a lot of that come up so i'm very interested to talk to someone that's on the inside of that and seeing how that whole process uh plays out so we'll just wait a few minutes for them to to join the space and then we can we can get started In the meantime, if I may, Elaine, I know you were mixing it up with uh, the audience during our Crypto Daily briefing that just wrapped. Um, if you would, what were your key takeaways from that uh, conversation? Um, I think my key takeaway is everybody in the NFT space sort of knows that, you know, 99% of NFT projects will go to zero. And I think before you go into any project that's the one thing that you should ask yourself but sometimes when we're behind our screens to ourselves and then you hold that conviction you go into a little spiral you believe what it stands for and you know you go into it without really figuring out who the team is you know for me personally when i go into projects i do the whole mi5 i do this speech to myself where i'm like I go into the project, you know, I treat them as like an ex-boyfriend. You never want to basically um, uh, get on my wrong end and stick. If I can't find a face of the project, I'm out. Oh, I love it. Well said. Yeah, that's hilarious. You know, one thing that really resonated with me, uh, especially at the end there, was uh, what OSF was saying. I mean, obviously, he needs to tokenize his hair, right? Let's let's get that out of the way. But no, I think one thing he talked about were, were some of the red flags and identifying uh, projects that are, you know, going to stick around or be successful. And I think, you know, what, what he mentioned there is identifying uh, collectability versus uh, if the value is derived from whether promises are going to be delivered and executed upon. I think that was a brilliant way 
to uh, to kind of differentiate between the, these two because that's essentially how NFT started as collectibles where, you know, traders, people kind of trying to flex their digital assets. So I loved that. And I, and I think that's a great narrative to keep in mind for the next cycle, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just watching like the really big, uh, you know, NFT people in the space that the quote from the comes from them, you have to be really sober uh, when you go into these projects, right? But it was a great conversation with OSF, Mando and Sergito, um, three of my ultimate faves that really push you know, the technology that's being worked out and being figured out in Web3. And it was just great to to listen um, amongst them with these conversations. And, uh, you know, as a community and real vision itself, just like, you know, if you think about it just a little bit about a year ago, even the macro people coming uh, in our community, they're not necessarily engaged in NFTs. They probably don't even have a MetaMask wallet or they probably don't even care about NFTs. But the fact that they're using the digital asset terms, the jargon is so incredible to watch. You know, we talk about joking about like the, the guest's hair, OSF's hair, but you know, a comment from Paul English, something so simple, just go, hmm, you know, he should tokenize his hair. That will bring in some money. It's just the fact that they're understanding the culture, how we're playing with the NFTs and, you know, NFTs and this Web3 world, I think a lot of it, the jargon is already so hard. But looking as a wider view, as a community of how far we've become and we're playing tokenized, you know, lang- tokenization and Web3 language and we're having fun with it. I think that's the most important thing about this space is that, you know, obviously you have your projects where you want to put your money, but we do need to inject some fun back into space and just listening to Rao over the past week when he says, you know, NFTs are sort of more like the luxury items and a lot of big plays are sort of just looking across the scene and where to position themselves um, is an interesting thing that's brewing in the back. And I think that's something that, you know, we should look out for. No, absolutely, Elaine. I love that you said that. And, you know, speaking of things that are brewing in the back and behind the scenes in the NFT space, we are just joined by Douglas XYZ. Douglas, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you, you got into this space, and a little bit about Wild XYZ. We're really interested to hear about it. What's up, crew? Thanks so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. Is that a uh, punk, sorry. Douglas? <laughs> yeah, no, this is actually what I look like. That's a live feed of my face. Um, I, uh, I'm i so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, crew. I, um, you know, at Wild, we're building the home for experiential art. And uh, and it's a super fun time to be um, kind of dreaming big uh, with, with a small and mighty team. Uh, my quick background um, and how I got into the space. I'm actually, I live in San Francisco, um, so I'm out in the Bay Area. Uh, I am born and raised in Ohio, uh, for any Midwest uh, United States fans out there, uh, and uh, kind of grew up in farm country there. Moved to New York City when I was in my mid-20s and had a tough time, tough time trying to find an apartment, and uh, that became a catalyst to start my first business. There's a company called Apartment List, uh, which is a United States-based rental marketplace uh, that I ran for about 14 years as founder and CEO. Um, and so my, back, my background is in marketplaces. 
Apartmentalist uh, uh, is, uh, uh, is th- did about two percent of all the rental moves in America last year, and uh, we raised about one hundred seventy million dollars, and it is about one hundred seventy uh, hundred million in run rate revenue. And I guess I just mentioned that to say, like, I um, I wanted to kind of bring this marketplace background to Web three, and I'm super passionate about the the space. So how I kind of fell into Web three beyond marketplaces, um, I was a collector as a kid. So when I was five, six years old, I started collecting football, baseball, and basketball cards and coins and stamps. And uh, fast forward to about a decade ago, I started uh, making an annual pilgrimage to Burning Man. And I felt that it was the most creative place that I've ever been and um, the best community I've ever been a part of. And I started producing my own music about four years ago. So I love music. Uh, and uh, I really started to experience kind of the pain points of Web 2 uh, as, as a creator which I had never um, felt before. And then I minted my first piece uh, off the Artblocks website uh, in the summer of 2021. And it, um, it was, you know, it felt like the parting of the Red Sea. I, I realized then that like this, uh, all these passions I have, whether it's like creativity, um, collecting, nostalgia for when I was a kid, um, getting to hang out with artists, it just like all clicked. And I, uh, I felt super compelled uh, to build something here. So that, that's a bit about my background. Uh, and, and coming back to Wild, we launched about a year ago. And building the home for experiential art, you know, that is a, that is a big, uh, a broad mission by design. Like we, we are here to take big swings and try to uh, make step change uh, improvements uh, to the space in the, in the capacity that we can. And uh, what we're starting with is our artist residency. So we have built, um, we're really just fortunate, honestly, to have this like incredible group of artists that are spending time with Wild um, all, uh, and, and building this ecosystem together. Uh, we're in our third cohort of artists now. Uh, it's about a three-month program we run, uh, and the artists will get to learn from one another. Uh, we have you know, tons of amazing topics, tons of amazing speakers, and at the culmination of the residency they release uh, their first of hopefully many collections on wild uh and so uh that's that's kind of what where we're at today so 70 artists there we just announced our curatorial board just another 10 artists i'm happy to chat all about but i'll pause because i don't want to talk too much there's too many amazing people here that for me to be on the mic so much well thank thank you douglas for for explaining all of that you know really quickly i want to go back to apartment list uh because i think this is this is awesome. I used before I joined Web3, I was a community manager in real life for a residential building. And uh, when I tell you that apartment list was our best uh, lead source, I am not lying to you. So thank you guys for for making me look good in front of my former bosses. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I love to hear that, obviously. And uh... Yeah, what a small world. Uh, there's, uh, it, it's really, really cool uh, to see folks with that background kind of migrating over to the space. So that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing. No, of course. And I, and I was going to say as well, you know, I, you have such great experience. And these are the types of people that I think we need to come into Web3 with that experience of having actually built products or services, software that's been used and successful in Web2 and then bring that over to Web3. That's exactly what we need. So, you know, being Wait, that what? You Is are... that like just for like the Tinder of apartments? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we uh, we have been described as that before. Uh, 
And so and one of our board members actually was the COO of Bumble uh, too. So yeah, we, we um, you know, it's funny. It's like you learn, it's a, it's a two-sided marketplace, not to get too like business speak. but Doug, I just you need know, you to point. launch a 10,000 PFP. The rarest trait is the mansion and just launch a bunch of houses. No, I'm kidding. As you were, sir. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe we'll have to do that at Wild. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I think you're onto something there. 10% commission. You know my address. I'll DM you. <laughs> Nailed it. She runs a tough bargain, that Elaine. She's a great negotiator. Um, but no, so it does, you know, you are, you know, in the trenches with, with these artists. And that's kind of one of the, I think the main or one of the biggest things that people kind of think of when they think of NFTs. They think of digital art, uh, generative art, you know, our arts, artists are kind of at the front of our mind when we think of NFTs. So I wanted to ask you, um, what do you think or what have you seen are some of the biggest problems facing artists in Web3? And that could be for new artists kind of coming in or for artists that have already been involved in the space. What do you think are some of these issues that are facing them? Yeah, great, amazing question. We, we, we love artists. This is like, this is all, <laughs> we, we, we get to spend all day, you know, chatting with some of the most creative humans on planet Earth. So we're, we're obsessed with helping the artist community and building something that can be a platform that can be trusted. This is a sad one. Like the first, the biggest problem for artists right now is the proliferation of um, kind of the cash grab PFP culture that dominates the headlines. Like I talked to um, a, s some very kind of renowned galleries uh, over the like the last month here, and what's what's happening is like they only you know they only know like they they don't have this deep depth of knowledge that the folks probably listening to this call might have, and it's not um, you know they they're just haven't like made the effort to get into the space yet, and so the baseline from which they're starting <laughs> is every single headline about cash grabs and celebrities getting, you know, uh, issued subpoenas and, you know, FTX going under and all this, um, all these very draconian scenarios that have nothing to do with incredible artists. And so like, you know, you think of somebody who now most artists are sole practitioners. So their entire income and livelihood is tied to their ability to produce work and for that work to be successful financially, in addition to telling a story that is authentic to them. And so, you know, what happens is we are putting these artists in position by allowing these, like, you know, massive PFP collections that are, you know, cash grabs and shit coins that are cash grabs. It, um, it, uh, it ends up actually becoming a huge, huge barrier to entry for more artists and creators to come into our space. And I think that's super sad. Um, so, you know, you might be saying like, yeah, but that's the space. Like, what can we do about it? Well, we don't have to participate in that stuff. And we actually can be pretty vocal about saying like, hey, um, maybe stop doing these cash grabs uh, because it's not good for Web3. It's certainly not inviting to artists. And it's certainly not good for the longevity of the space. So, you know, that's where I would start. I would say it's like so the biggest problem for artists right now is something that's completely outside of their control. But, you know, we, you have big microphones. You know, we have a microphone. Like, you know, th to the extent that we can start to bake a safe space uh, for artists to kind of move their entire livelihood to Web3, we need to do that. And, I, I, you know, I fervently believe that this is the future, but it's not going to happen if, 
we we allow um, bad actors uh, to 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 get uh, to be very vocal, and and you know that that's something that's super important to get the space right. It needs to be built on a foundation that we can all be proud of. Absolutely, Douglas. Absolutely, I think that that speaks to the whole idea of you know speaking with your wallet, right? If we don't buy these things, they're not going to be profitable, and therefore they won't be constantly being released. But it seems like people are buying them left and right, and you know as long as that happens, there's there's money to be made. So they're going to continue releasing all these you know shit coins, derivatives, you know BS projects, if you will. Um, but you know what I have noticed? I've noticed the narrative kind of switching a little bit away from PFPs and, and people starting to talk more about generative art and, and showcase their generative art collections. Do you think that we're starting to kind of wake up to this? Or do you think it's just kind of a trend of like monkey see, monkey do? We've seen some higher profile people doing this. So now we're following. What, what, do, you, what do you kind of think about why we're, we're starting to see a little transition here? Yeah, rather than talking about the negative, uh, like, I love this. It's, let's talk about the positive. I mean, before you get to the positive, Douglas, I know you mentioned the negative and to jump in like this, but I just want to say that speech that you just gave out sent a charge through me. So I'm just going to send a few hearts. And Bijan, if I may, can I ask a question? Hell yeah. Okay. I mean, jump in. I mean, can I pull the soundboard out? You can do anything you want. This is your oh, well, Don't <laughs> Back to you. We're talking about the positives. Let's fucking go. Hell yeah! I uh, m- much appreciate it. Thank you, Elaine. Um, this is my new favorite Twitter Spaces. Just so everybody knows. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, like talking about the positives. So yes, um, the the conversations that we are having are going to kind of set. Like everybody here that's listening um, has an interest in digital art. Um, I think that, you know, we, I, I, here, here's one thing that everyone here can do to make this space better. You can learn about one artist that makes you happy. One artist where you actually get to know their story. You didn't just buy their work because it looked pretty. You bought their work because they're telling you something they believe in, that you believe in. And it's something that you want to share. And I, you know, our team, we get access to hundreds and hundreds of artists. We get to have all these incredible conversations. And you learn the story behind a collection that took two years to create. And it was about somebody's, you know, close, uh, somebody's brother that had passed away. And it is so tragic, but it gave them hope. And it told the story in an authentic way to that artist. And it is, um, it is an incredible opportunity for that artist to like express something that this digital artwork is the best way they knew how to express it. And there was no better way to be able to kind of express and tell that story of what happened. And that to me is so powerful. And so when I have conversations with folks that tell me, Oh, NFTs are the worst, you know, you know, what a cash FTX. I, I start to talk about people. Because talking about people and talking about artists and telling stories about collections is fun as hell. And it's awesome to get in front of uh, a conversation that you know where it's going. Uh, because it's somebody that, you know, to their, to, to, to their credit, like they read the headlines and the headlines are bad. So why not just tell them something that they can remember that's positive? 
And so I love talking about the artists and I love that people want to showcase their work. And I love people that, you know, go to gallery. I spent like an hour last night on gallery.so just, just like trying to like clean up my collection so I could show it to people. And so there's just, um, it's something that everybody can do. It's fun to do that. And then I would say like, after you've done that, maybe do it again and learn all about another artist and another collection because these stories are real and the platforms that you love to go to, that you trust, that you engage with, they are telling authentic stories for artists. And that, and that is what, what I believe will carry us through kind of dark times that we're in right now. Go ahead. Penny, you don't need to raise your hand. Go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt. Hi, Douglas. Hi. Um, can I just ask, how has all these royalty battles been impacting your one-of-one one artists? Because the marketplaces are such a mess at the moment. Um, a lot of people choose not to pay the royalties. Is it kind of like getting your artist down when they sell a piece on the secondary and the buyer chooses not to pay the royalties for them? 100%. It's devastating. <laughs> uh, the artists um, rely on that as income. And let's look at it from this perspective. You're an artist that, you know, maybe you haven't gone to Web3. You've been making money and, and doing, you know, museum shows doing gallery shows, you have somebody that represents you in some capacity. And then you finally in 2021 decided to like make this leap to web three. And you know, you, you launch a collection and oh my gosh, it's successful <laughs> and amazing. And all your hard work starting to pay off. And then one day, you know, a marketplace comes along and then says, we're not going to honor royalties anymore. Uh, and so now, you know, you're paying your mortgage, you, you have kids, you're, you're renting a place, whatever it may be, every, every circumstances are completely different. Somebody's sick, you know, so you got to pay for school for someone like there's all these incredible expenses that arise as life goes on. And then all of a sudden your income gets taken away because people want to like day trade um, your art and, and could care less about, you know, basically what the story is behind a work. Now, I come bearing gifts because I get frustrated by that, but it, there's nothing, that's outside of my control, you know? That's outside of most of the people here's control because we don't run marketplaces in the space that are racing to the bottom and zero fees. Um, so here's how it can be empowering for artists. I um, encourage artists personally to focus on launching new collections. When you launch new collections, you empower yourself to control your financial destiny. Because what we're talking about with a race to the bottom on commissions and royalties is a discussion around secondary sales. When you launch a collection, you control the economics because you determine when, what the artwork is, what the collection is, uh, the story that's told, the platform that you're releasing on, and all those things are within your control. Um, and so if you want to empower an artist, um, go, go that path. And if you happen to buy something on Blur, uh, or you happen to buy something where, where royalties were not honored, then feel free to go spend time. And I've sent ETH to artists when, when I, I did an OTC deal uh, and they didn't get a commission. And OTC deals are kind of part of the space too. I get hit up every single day for people that want to buy something OTC. Um, but you can pay that commission. That is up to you. <laughs> that is not up to, that, that's up to the purchaser. <laughs> uh, so uh, you, you get to make that decision. Yeah, it must be so Douglas. I feel like either. sorry, Penn. I felt like Douglas just slapped me in the face and just reminded myself to be a good person of why I'm here every day. Sorry, Penny, as you were. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, it must be so disheartening for them when they've put in all that work, they've got a preconceived notion in their head of the royalties they're going to get moving forward. They promote their collection so people want to get into it on the secondary and it's of no benefit to them. A lot of um, NFT groups I'm in, um, they're using the analogy of, well, when I buy a second-hand car, I don't pay Ford a royalty because they created it. And it, it, it's annoying because it, it takes away from the whole ethos of how this all should have began. And I don't know how, on a whole, in this space of Web3, we can change people's minds at the stage we're at now. And, and maybe... Um... Maybe we don't need to, because maybe there are bigger opportunities that lie ahead. This royalty treatment, you know, was was, uh, and these and these numbers are are just kind of based upon like people's best thought about what probably made the most sense and felt the most fair three years ago or two years ago. And so um, maybe we need um, some new ideas around what uh, the long term royalty discussion holds. But I would just like stick to this. Every time an artist releases a new collection, they hold the keys to that safe. They get to determine where and when it happens. They get to determine the price of it, the economics of it. And so it's very empowering to think about creating new collections. And I hope and expect that in this digital age, you know, that it does break down some of the massive barriers to launch work and some of the massive economic hits to launching work in a physical space prior to Web3 being kind of indoctrinated in this artist community. And so I really do think uh, that, you know, if it, uh, the, the, like a lot of these collections don't have an insane secondary volume either. So like we're, we're what we tend to focus on are the like m most renowned collections that trade on something like art blocks, art blocks, which I love. Um, and so, you know, there, we, we, we have massive volume on a lot of these on the secondary market. There are a lot of collections uh, that don't, uh, you know, I would say 99% of these collections don't have massive secondary volumes, certainly not in a bear market. Um, so when you're talking to an artist and they're con concerned about royalties, they have every right to be concerned. But I would say that, like, I would usher people, you know, the, se the second empowering piece is ushering people that want to collect your work to platforms that will honor those royalties. Well, spot on, I, I think. Um, you know, one of the things that in Web3 that I love so much and I think what, what attracts a lot of people is just the power of community and the ability for artists, founders, creators to just connect and relate with their audience and, and fellow community members. Now, I see, I guess, you know, just because I've been so involved in the PFP world, I, I guess I see how that, can come to fruition uh, with with those communities. You know, you you get an individual PFP. You kind of use it as as your digital identity, if you will. Maybe you're creating a brand on top of it. It's different from the other collection or other pieces in the collection. Now, for an artist that you know is delivering one of ones or maybe different variants of, of pieces in their collection, how how would you suggest or or what do you think? How can they go about creating and fostering their own community? Start small. Uh, artists, uh, so, so the, here's the, you know, we hear lots of discussions around utility. What's the utility of this collection? You talk to like, you know, it's a very um, difficult thing 
to argue with. If you want to win a discussion, basically any time in life, ask someone what the utility of something is. What's the utility of that? Um, and so the utility of, uh, of art is completely up to, uh, to, to both parties, the collector and the artist, to determine. But here's the easiest utility to provide for any artist out there, any creator in any capacity. It's human connection. Any artist can create a connection with somebody that collects their work. The best instance of this is like one of the first pieces I bought um, off of a, a, a drop in 2021 from an artist named Jeffrey Scudder, uh, who's um, brilliant and I can get into it on a lot of different levels. But I bought one of his pieces uh, called Radical Digital Painting. And then I didn't really actually know how Discord worked at that time. Like, raise your hand if you've been confused by how Discord works at some point in your life. <laughs> now I love Discord. Uh, but at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I like, you know, I saw some link maybe on the OpenSea page and I went to his Discord and I just like kind of joined and then I got in there and it's overwhelming. I was like, there's got to be thousands of people in here or something. And I just said like, hey, you know, I kind of like waved and said, hello, I hope everybody's having a good day. And the very first person to respond to me and strike up a conversation with me was Jeffrey Scudder, the artist. Um, and I... I was really blown away. I'm like, oh, you're the artist. Oh, like, and then we just struck up this great conversation. And so I mentioned the word utility. The best utility that I've had in this whole space is human connection. It's a relationship with the artist. And by um, purchasing a piece of their work, you're contributing to their journey, but it also is fulfilling for you. And so um, I think a lot of artists are hesitant, like, uh, you know, you're an introvert, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in front of a computer, you're a digital artist, you're a badass, like, take the time to try to like, get outside that comfort zone. There's growth in that uncomfortable area of like, hey, just reach out to somebody that if somebody takes the time to join your discord, um, say what's up to them. I do that in the wild discord all the time. Uh, and uh, because it's fun. And, and those people are generally very supportive. And, and so for artists, the best utility you can create is, is a conversation. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, it starts with one person. Starts small. And then it's two people because their, their net promoter score of you is going to be really close to a 10 out of 10. Because that's going to be a great discussion. And then they're going to tell their friends, hey, I just met this amazing person, Jeffrey Scudder. And I'm telling you on Twitter spaces right now. And somebody else is going to say, hey, this guy's awesome. And so that ball like really starts to pick up a lot of inertia and roll downhill. And so it starts small, but like one turns into 10 relationships, turns into a hundred relationships. And then when you're selling a collection, you've got a hundred people you can reach out to. You've got an audience and you can start to host your own events and have those dialogues. So I say start small. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a great piece of advice. Uh, you know, so a lot of things can be overwhelming, especially entering a new space. Just take it one step at a time. What's in front of you? I, I love that message. And I think that can be, you can take that in any walk of life, I think. Um, so, so Douglas, let's, let's talk, let's talk art now, you know, let's see, we've been talking about artists. Let's talk about the art. So what do you look for when you are purchasing a piece of art? You know, not all of us, I, I don't always have the best eye for art, but I want to add some pieces to my collection. But I, I want to speak, you know, hear from you. What do you look for when you're, you're purchasing a piece of art? Um, I know we, we, we know about the artist's story. I think that's one of the most important pieces of it. But how do you look for that to, uh, 
showcase itself in in the artwork that you're purchasing yeah epic question um and this is like the fun part (laughs) i think that um i think that one of my biggest vices in the space is rushing into things i'm like oh i hear about something i get some fomo and i'm like i have to like go jump on this thing (laughs) there's a drop happening it's about to sell out i have to buy it um and I, I think that that is when I actually have kind of the least connection to the artist. And um, so some of the most fun I have uh, is actually just kind of like window shopping. I don't window shop in real life, uh, but I like love window shopping and digital art. I think it's so fun. Uh, and so I'll just like find collections that I'm like particularly excited about. And then I love to like imagine I have a list. I have a list of stuff. I'm like, it's like my wish list. It's like one day I'd love to like own this piece. And not all of them are like really super expensive or anything. They're just like, maybe they're like very thinly traded. They never come to market. Like, you know, I, Def Beef is a great example. Def Beef just joined our curatorial board. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing almost everybody here knows who Def Beef is. He's amazing. Um, you know, his pieces just rarely hit the market uh, because they're just so coveted. Um, and you know, definitely if it was one of our season zero, like mentors, he's just an amazing, amazing artist. And so, you know, I just look at Deputy's collections kind of like once a week and I'm like, Hey, I'm just going to check out. And I like to play around and I like to, in his, you know, he has this audio, audio visual component that is so incredibly powerful that I find connection with. And so what I would say is like, try to wait to find things you have connection with. If you buy something uh, that you are proud to to show uh, to a significant other or a friend, um, I think that's pretty meaningful. And I actually think that that's like a pretty good barometer of whether or not you should maybe make a purchase. And so I think it starts with getting to know the artist and the story behind the artist, and then it's the story behind a specific collection. And if that resonates with you, then that's super powerful. Like, you know, things that resonate with me, like artists facing depression and anxiety. I've faced depression and anxiety almost my whole life. And so when I get to hear somebody that's like expressing something through a piece of art uh, that helps them kind of like face the challenges of anxiety, like that is something that just deeply resonates with me. And so I immediately like want want to be um, in that sphere. I want to like be in that community. I want to like support that artist for telling a story that's difficult to tell and for being vulnerable. Um, and so I think um, my, my advice there would just window shopping, window shopping, but like with meaning and then, you know, not rushing into these things like I've done so many times. Window shopping is great advice. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I, I, I think, you know, one of the narratives that I loved about Web3 was the whole idea of storytelling, whether that's, you know, creating lore and background stories for individual pieces in a project, or just the story that an artist has about why they created a piece. You know, we have our one of our very own artists, our Real Vision Collective partner, Ying Kore, who I just absolutely love. Uh, she just does a great job of creating these abstract pieces, but telling a story and why she created it. So I, I can absolutely identify with things like that. And speaking of, you know, digital artists in, in, in their own right, we're, we're joined here by Real Vision bot who's, you know, I like to think of it as an artist who creates amazing memes, 
has amazing conversations. Real Vision Bot, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm great. How are you? Happy to be here. And, and very happy that you consider me an artist after I send you some German jokes today and some memes as well. Which I, by the way, got from a member of the community who apparently has a big folder of German memes. And every day he's sending me, or basically every day he's sending me these German memes. And they are, if you know Germans, they are truly funny. But like sometimes they can be very weird. Talking about uh, German memes, real vision, but like, and listening to Douglas that basically if you find like a, a mutual story that you want to build around. So I went on down this vortex of a hole. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's an NFT collection uh, released by the German government. I'm not joking you. I basically emailed the German foreign intelligence services to get this confirmed. And I said, Provision, but you're German, you speak German. Is this true? Do you want to tell our audience about this story? <laughs> Yeah, we weren't really sure if it was a fake or just a very good, uh, like, I don't know, yeah, fake collection, whatever. But apparently the BND, the German intelligence service, they launched their NFT collection. It was like a little puzzle hunt. So you had to go through a contract address, which they promoted on their newly created Instagram or Twitter account. So it already kind of like looked suspicious from a rug pull perspective. And kind of then from that you saw two transactions I think that went to one contract and you were able to post a message to that contract and then you received an airdrop of these uh, German dogs, right? They were pretty, uh, well, I would say non-exciting. Also the contract looked suspicious, kind of like wasn't somehow verified or something. So all over very strange project. And yeah, Elaine asked me if they are legit. I, I really couldn't tell. It looked partly legit partly not and then we got the confirmation from from the bnd that it was but then again in their email it didn't tell us the contract address which was strange because i usually i asked them i was like that. can you can you send me the open sea link and the german foreign intelligence services replied back with the open sea link yeah and then it was was clear i mean the other thing that was surprising that the biggest holder of that nft is an .eth account named after the chief of the uh, German BND, who is a 60-year-old guy, so uh, that already really looked suspicious, right? Um, but I probably it was the intern, I don't know, but I mean, I bought one. I and don't to keep it they, to they keep it somewhere. to the culture, um, obviously, I don't know what the heck this NFT does, but to keep it to the culture, I bought the very NFT from the leader of the German Foreign Intelligence Services. <laughs> But I don't know what the hell it does. Just FYI, just bringing it back to a real life uh, user case example. When Douglas mentions, you know, when he says build, uh, go with the community that is building out the mission and its core value. I actually think cybersecurity is very important as we expand and excel in this digital uh, footprint age. So I was just like, are you kidding me? The German government is messing around with NFTs, um, but nothing of the sort. And yet it has gone down in value. Just FYI. <laughs> Well, it looks like Elaine is now on the Germans radar. Uh, they probably know uh, where you live, how much you've spent recently, and probably what you ate for dinner last night. So, uh, yeah, you know, they're here. Um, but, yeah, so, guys, if you have any questions, uh, just go ahead and request. We're going to start bringing some people up to the stage to ask some questions to, to Douglas um, about, you know, just about 
this wonderful world of art, what's going on. So Douglas, another question I have for you, because, you know, great topic. We just kind of discussed memes a little bit. Um, and I'm sure you're aware of Punk 6529 sees the memes collection. Now we are seeing individual artists, you know, create these like fun, you know, culturally relevant pieces. Cause you know, web three so identifies with memes. Are you, are you, how do you view that kind of transition or, you know, that, that idea of artists kind of creating memes as art, if you will? Yeah, I, I love I love memes. I, I mean, I'm a big Rare Pepe fan. Um, you know, for those of you that don't know the story behind Rare Pepe's, there's a documentary called Feels Good Man, and uh, that that's worth watching. It's amazing. Uh, Matt Fury is an artist in Web three, uh, and Pepe's are are I think like the quintessential meme for the space. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that. I mean, but I I do like search for things with deeper meaning. Um, example of that would be. Like today, actually, right now, we're doing a drop, which is kind of fun. So if I seem distracted, I apologize because I'm also looking at dashboards and stuff like that. But um, um, uh, on, the, on the side of memes, um, Jonas Lund is the artist, and he's kind of like a meme unto himself. I got to meet Jonas Lund um, uh, virtually uh, because he had basically um, issued Jonas Lund token for anybody that collected his work. So he, I bought one of his pieces and he reached out and he sent me a Jonas Lund token. And then I was like, what's this token for? And he's like, well, you get to vote in the DAO, the Jonas Lund DAO on things I do with my life. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so he has like some trivial decisions and then like some very like significant decisions, life decisions that he leaves to like his voters. And it's not like a thousand people. I think like 36 people voted whether or not he should take a six month sabbatical. <laughs> and it was like a close vote and he did it. Uh, so Jonas Lund is super legendary. He's in our uh, season one artist group. He is our first signature collection on wild. Uh, and what does that mean? It's like, we, we created this curatorial board with people like Harmon Dendorpel and Mitchell Chan and Nancy Baker Cahill and Def Beef and Holly Herndon. And they uh, make decisions on which art from the wild ecosystem gets anointed with this signature level status. And so Jonas, this human meme is the first signature collection and the drop is happening right now. So it's a really cool collection. Uh, it's called, um, sorry, sorry to, to shill a little bit, but I just think this one's super epic. It's called Most Accidents Happen at Home. And, um, and so, you know, in this spirit of experiential art, basically when he, this is like a, a this is a story and a, and, a, and a discussion around these pieces of art, and these objects in our lives that like play a significant role in our lives. And there's always this processing in the back of our mind, like, what, what am I doing? What, what's going on in the background? And Jonas came to this conclusion that every time he dropped something or when accidents happen at home, he wanted something to happen on the blockchain to kind of represent those accidents. And so uh, this is a conversation, um, a virtual conversation around that. So I encourage people to check out Jonas. He's super legendary and I love rare Pepe's. That is probably one of the best things I think I've ever heard. Like that is that's amazing. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in this space. Hilarious. That is a real life meme. Oh my God. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm going to check him out right after this. So Batsy, you just came to the stage. How you doing? 
Hey, Gold Member. Hey, everyone. Uh, I hope you're all well. Um, I just have a couple of three questions, of course. So I had a look at your marketplace, Douglas. Very interesting. I'm just wondering, you mentioned about royalties. Um, why don't you just enforce royalties directly on the smart contract to, you know, just in case, you know, people choose not to pay royalties on secondary marketplaces? That's the question number one. And question number two is, um, is your marketplace permissioned? Yes, I would imagine it is. I mean, they have to come to you to for you to then launch the mint on your marketplace, right? So it's not like OpenSea is permissionless where anyone can just add their uh, their NFTs. So is it permissioned? So is there like a Web2 permission side to it as well? Those are my three questions. Those are my two questions. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so we, we do enforce royalties, but it's so easy for marketplace to strip that component out. Um, you know, I am a, a non, yeah, <laughs> I'm a non-technical founder. Um, but I have a lot of smart engineers that work at the company that are a lot smarter than me. Um, and we, um, not, I, I don't know of a marketplace or a platform that has been able to um, prevent someone from Blur from stripping out the royalties. You talk to artists that do all of their work on chain. You talk to marketplaces like OpenSea. You talk to Artblocks as a platform. Nobody has a great solution for this. It seems to me uh, like, oh yeah, it should be so simple to do with a smart contract. Like you would just designate that X percent commission always goes to this wallet address. The reality is it's very complex technically behind the scenes. And a lot of people a lot smarter than me and still not being able to figure it out. So I echo your optimism around it. Um, and in, trust me, these are a lot of conversations that we've had internally. So we, we have like embedded that support of those royalties into our work. But these marketplaces like Blur, you, you don't have to support those royalties if you choose not to. And on OpenSea, it's an optional thing. Interesting. I didn't realize that they could still, even if it's even forced it on the contract, they could still make it so that hmm, I've done something new. Okay. And, uh, and just on the second question, it's it's permissioned, right? So they have to come to you on the Web2 side uh, to become one of your artists and then you list them on your marketplace, right? Um, so uh, let's see. Complicated question uh, because we have this residency. So, and I, it's funny because I think I'm hung up on like, why is that Web2? <laughs> we have a residency like in real life where, you know, it, we meet up from time to time, and we also meet virtually constantly. Uh, but when people are, uh, so we have an application process for our residency. So any artist that wants to join the Wild Residency, we would love to have you. Uh, just come to our website, fill out the application. We we would love uh, to have that discussion. So we have a great mix of like very experienced artists and emerging artists. Uh, so those conversations do happen. Um, uh, kind of behind the scenes, right? Because we get an application and then we, we check it out together and we have a whole team that kind of reviews those and I am on that team. Um, and then within our residency then, you know, we had 20 people in our first class. We had about 20 people on our second class. We had 30 people on our third. Um, and so we're, we're steadily growing. So by the end of the year, we'll have a, at least 70 artists that have kind of like completed the residency. Um, and so, yes, like we, uh, we do have this kind of non-Web3 component, this kind of IRL and also the, the physical review, the manual review of each application. Well, that's great. Thank you. You should probably look at ERC. I think it's 2535 where you can have uh, 
permissions on smart contracts as well. I love that. And, um, and if, if you can figure out this royalty challenge, then please, <laughs> please, please let everyone in the world know, including me. Uh, I, I, yeah, that's a great business idea. Whoever figures that out, uh, you're going to be a very rich person. That'll probably be, I'd made a patentable and charge, uh, you know, royalties on that if I, if I had. <laughs> no patents, no patents. Uh, thanks for your questions. Yeah, no patents. This is Web3, all public source codes. All right, we share things here. Um, but so, guys, this has been, I mean, I just love talking about NFTs, Web3. We're going to be doing this all week. Uh, we're going to have another NFT style uh, space on Friday. We're going to be back again tomorrow. Raul is joining us on Friday, guys, again. So we're just we're just moving with the crypto gathering. I want to thank Douglas so much for joining us today. Um, Douglas, do you have... Do you have any words, any last words you want to leave us with? Tell us where we can find you. Tell us how we can go to Wild XYZ and find some great pieces of art. You know, talk to us. Yeah, my, my pleasure. The, the pleasure was all mine, crew. I mean, thanks so much for hosting me today. What a wonderful discussion. Uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, uh, if, if, if you're interested in learning more about Wild, thank you so much. Uh, we're humbled by that. Um, please come to the website, wild.xyz. Feel free to DM me, hit me up anytime. I'm Douglas X, XYZ. Um, I, you know, I think the, the best way to kind of get started in our ecosystem, I think the coolest asset here is something called an oasis. It's basically, there's nothing basic about it. It's basically the foundation, essentially the foundation of everything we do is going to be driven by the oasis holders and who happen to be amazing artists and incredible collectors and people that are really um, supporting the ecosystem the way that all of us want. Uh, this space uh, to be supported. And so go scoop an oasis on secondary uh, and, and kind of join the fun. That is kind of the ground floor and we'll give you access to all, lot, lots of fun conversations and discord and access to artists and cool events and also uh, these amazing drops. And then beyond that, um, there are just so many, we've done uh, almost 20 drops. I think maybe our 20th drops today. So we've got a lot of cool art that's out there. Some of it's available for sale on the website. Most of it's sold out and available on secondary. I, always encourage people to go to OpenSea uh, to scoop things on secondary. So yeah, please feel free to uh, check out Wild and thank you so much uh, for giving me uh, the opportunity to speak to this amazing community. Of course, our pleasure, Douglas. And again, thank you, Elaine. What's up? Yes, sir. Um, I know we are a global community and obviously the usual corporates are from the UK or in Europe. So this is, may not be one for you, but tonight I am hosting a DGEN happy hour in order to celebrate our crypto gathering this week. It does take place at 6 PM PST. And that's for our friends over in the East coast at 9 P. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's 9 AM over in Hong Kong. That means people are going to be having their morning coffee brew while we are day behind over in the U S I'm going to have some God knows where this will go in the filthy DGen hours of the night. So DGen happy hour, it happens on NP. We will post the link uh, below this space. So if you are available, do pop on by with that friends, over in Asia, because as you know, there is a lot happening over with Hong Kong, uh, basically setting out a Web3 task force, Singapore doing all kinds of stuff with the big banks, and Japan putting their Web3 strategy into their white paper coming from the ruling party. So, Hadijan Happy Hour, Asian edition. You know where it's at.
Douglas, can I ask you one last question, please? Before sure. we close out. You are a IRL property guy at heart. What are your thoughts on property in the metaverse? Um, I think I'm an IRL like Web three guy at heart. That I was disguised as a a property guy for 14 years. <laughs> uh, no, um, I just uh, I really enjoy being an artist. Uh, to answer your question, I think that uh, the biggest challenge with real estate in the metaverse is. Um, I think about it in terms of like the most expensive cities that we all are familiar with. I'll pick New York City. What makes New York City uh, so expensive is the scarcity, right? So if it was spread out over uh, unlimited mileage, then it wouldn't be expensive to have a home in New York City. Um, but since, you know, in particular, Manhattan's condensed to two miles by eight miles, uh, forgive me, I'm not going to do the kilo. Uh, uh, the the kilometer conversion on the fly um, is uh, is is really what drives the price. And so the challenge with a lot of the current metaverse real estate is it's like a printing press of like stuff. Um, and so um, unlimited real estate means shitty low prices for real estate because there's no scarcity. Um, so the way I think about real estate in the space is. Build something that's really, really, really remarkable and have it be scarce and have it be a place that everybody wants to visit because it's something wonderful happens there. In particular, what I get really excited about is immersive experience created by artists in a wild ecosystem and taking all that cool, uh, incredible art and taking all those amazing people and kind of putting in, putting in all that in one place where we can showcase their work and have those conversations to me, that's a really amazing place to be. That's a fun place to be. That's a place I want to spend my time. And so I think then that drives real estate prices. So you don't like sell real estate and then you're like, hey, let's make it valuable later. It's like, no, build something that's super fucking awesome that people want to go do and then sell real estate later. Um, and so that, that's kind of the way I think about it. I'm so glad you've said that because I've just sold a penthouse in New York through Helix Metaverse which has just been a complete crock of shit. And I was kind of like doubting myself, was I right to sell it or not? But now I think I was. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks again, everyone, for attending. We'll be back again on Twitter tomorrow and Friday. Remember, DGen Happy Hour special edition tonight. See you guys then. Rick Rule. Rick Rule is a favorite of the Real Vision community. If you'd like to meet Rick and get a masterclass from the master himself, you'll want to head to the Rick Rule Symposium on Natural Resource Investing in Florida, July 23 to 27. You'll get access to industry insiders, elite bullion dealers, gold council members, and uranium pros. Just head over to realvision.com slash rick for tickets. That's realvision.com slash rick.